Well, so I I will explain. Um, I had a little I had a little technical mishap, which sort of lowered the, uh, which which opened the gates to a whole bunch of rando slots all at once by accident. I it saw was, that, and so uh, so yeah, <laughs> am I one of those? You are one of those. Oh, I'm sorry. That's so okay. That's okay. At I, home, I having it... dinner with your family, and no, I made a decision. I made a decision to do this, and I'm really glad I have. And uh, actually, the guy right before you was another repeat, which was really, really? cool. Wow. So I might, I'm thinking I might append our first conversation at the end of this one because enough people have joined the channel since and it's kind of hard to remember so sure. oh yeah um, so that then will help give people but but give me well what did you want to talk about today um really i wanted to just i don't know throw throw some stuff into the into the space in our dialogue and okay kind of get your thoughts on it um your channel's kind of resonated with me from a few different angles recently which has been pretty interesting so um, the, the two big ones, and I think we could go either direction. If you remember, we talked two years ago and we talked about orthodoxy versus Protestantism. And that's kind of, um, I think that's a common thing in, in this little corner for yep. sure. Yeah. Um, from our angle, it's, I, I almost envy the people that go from being a nun to being Orthodox because that's, that's your community. And so for us, it's more a question of like, where is our community? So, and I, and I use the term ecclesiastically homeless, and I don't really like that term as much. I think of us more as uh, ecclesiastically couch surfing because we're welcome at a lot of different places. We always have a couch, but we we haven't found a place that we're comfortable staying. Um, so that's that's one angle, and then another angle is actually the YouTube, the pro felicity thing, which I thought was really interesting. So I dove in head first into YouTube during the pandemic. And I, I mean, I went all like, I, I'm a musician. So I, I have a lot of like background in production and, and things like that. So I learned Premiere and we did some after effects and et cetera, et cetera, and actually built a fairly decent sized channel. So I, I something like 8,600 subscribers on 12 videos, something like wow. that. So I, I really played the YouTube game, like with VidIQ, where you kind of try to tweak yeah. the search terms and things like that. Yeah. And um, oh, then, interesting. So what, what is what is the name? I think I might have found it at some point. It's called Beyond Dentistry. So if you um, if you ever get a comment from a, a random dentist in your in your comments, that's me. And uh, I also, I've been commenting a lot on Neil Derpoor uh, Robbins, their channel. I've been really into their music, especially okay. as a musician. So he's probably thinking like, you know, who's this random dentist that's blowing up my comment sections, which is awesome. Um, but I, I mean, it's fine, you know, nerd out on music stuff and just kind of, but anyway, the, um, so uh, back to, you know, kind of the YouTube thing. I, I had this thought that I'm going to make it to a thousand subs and then just kind of reassess because back then you know subscribers are are what matters that's sort of the the flex and i really enjoyed it it took a ton of time i did a lot of the sort of short form like five to eight minutes heavily edited with effects and you know things like that so you would put you know i'd shoot for a half hour i would edit for 20 hours and then you know here's the video and then um i did a product review and that was really interesting because i did i reached out to this company and said, I, I would like to review your product. What do you think? I did, you know how it is that you just throw feelers everywhere and eventually someone says, yeah, sure, we'll do it. So I reviewed this, this product and 
Then a company sent me, you know, a $3,000 piece of equipment and said, review it, let us know what you think. By the way, it's yours. You, you get to keep it. And you really feel that tension of sort of serving two masters in a way that I, I don't want to chalk it up to just that. Like in any decision in life, there's the scale of like, should I keep doing this? Should I not? That was more of like, I don't like the way this makes me feel. I should probably back off a little bit. So that's, um, that's where we landed with YouTube. We had two more kids actually too since then. So I've got kind of a, a two and two. So we have a 11 year old and nine year old. We decided we were done to the point that I had my consultation. We were ready to make it permanent. I actually got a call from the, uh, from the urologist and I didn't schedule my appointment. They said, your, your appointment's tomorrow. Just reminding you. And I said, I, I didn't schedule. I went for the consult. I got the, okay, I'm ready to schedule. And right about that time, we were kind of flirting with the idea of having more kids. And it, it, we just decided, yeah, let, let's do it. Let's have some more kids. So we've got an 11 year old, a nine year old, a two year old and a one year old. So that's, that's where we wow. are. Wow. Your 11 and year old, nine year old must've been like, they love it better than a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> better than a puppy for sure by a mile. And we have a puppy too. So there's a, or a dog, but Anyways, you can have was, both children and pets. Yeah. Usually they come together. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> interesting because we thought we had the two kids, let's get the dog. And then we'll have the ideal, like American dream family. And then getting the dog, we realized like, this isn't it. Like we like the kids. <laughs> the kids are way better than dogs. I love yeah. dogs. I love dogs. Right. The kids are way better than dogs. Well, I, I'm so, well, I'm interested in both, but I'm super interested in the YouTube thing. Because yeah, let's go. Yeah. There are fewer people I can talk. Well, I talk to some people about YouTube, but it is different being on the other side of the channel, mm -hmm. watching the analytics. And then as you noted, I watch a lot of, um, because I've always liked computer technology and notebooks and stuff. So I I watch I watch a fair number of product reviews. To every time I'm going to buy something, I, I mm -hmm. just do the deep dive in YouTube in terms of product reviews. But you watch enough of those channels, and there are major, major channels in the technology, technology space and the product review space and, and these kinds of things. And then you no, begin to notice that there's all these tiny little channels that are out there that never get any traction. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a, I, I know someone who is pretty big into one technical area of YouTube and he does it as a day job. And I think okay. that's a difference too. Yeah. Right. That if, if my, if I need to earn a living from YouTube and it's primarily a marketing device, and then you have this whole business of, okay, they're going to send me this piece of equipment and I'm going to critique it. You know, how, how pissed off do I really want to make these people that I'm dependent upon for my livelihood? I mean, it's just not a strategy for uh, economic well-being. No, and it's, it's interesting. And it's not even like, I didn't even feel this tension. Like, here's what I want to say. And here's what I should say. But it was more just knowing that that piece was baked in somewhere to my psychology. That was the uncomfortable part. So I think it's a phenomenal product and I actually would recommend it to people. I probably would have said, I very likely would have said the same things had they not, if I wasn't trying to, right. you know, serve them, but there's no way to avoid incentive. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things I've not, you know, mentally tough enough to 
dissociate those pieces. So I'm I'm looking at your channel. Three years ago, you obviously did a lot of video work. And then there's a couple, there's a few videos from two years ago, and there's a video from one year ago. Um, what, yeah, walk me through that. What was, um, obviously three years ago, we were sort of in the midst of COVID. Mm -hmm. So what, what did that do? Cause it's funny. Cause whenever I go to the dentist, now they have this thing. I said, oh, that's the COVID vacuum. It kind of puts it oh my gosh. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. I bet you that doesn't really work well. She's all yeah. masked up anyway, but. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, yeah. but so talk to me about COVID and dentistry. I'm kind of curious about that. Cause it's like, you know, you're right in people's mouths. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, people say it was, um, man, I, I wish I could, there's like so many rabbit trails I could go down. So, um, long story short, I, I didn't mind the sabbatical. It, it was not okay as a dentist to say that out loud, but I, like when they shut us down, it was like, nah, oh, boom, I get to stay home with my kids. I get to work on side projects. Like let's do, I honestly didn't know. Cause at the time I had a huge loan on my dental practice and it was like, I don't know if I'm going to go bankrupt. And interestingly, I cared less ever when, when they shut me down and I didn't know what was going to happen. I cared less about my financial situation than I ever had. Then really? if, like, if we had a down month, you know, any other time it would be like, oh no, here's, this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Then they're going to quit. Then, you know, G general motors is going to lay a bunch of people off. So I don't have patience. And it's, um, yeah, so that was, that was really interesting. And anyway, since then I've actually partnered with a larger group. So now my practice, they, they sort of took over the financial burden of the practice. And now I'm a W2 employee and I have kind of an interest, like if the practice does well, I get a bonus and things like that. But, um, I, I'm not cut out to be an owner. I learned that I'm a, I'm a better, I'm a better uh -huh. worker bee when it comes to, when it comes to dentistry. So anyway, dentist and COVID. So I, I took some time off. Um, I'd done a lot of research on YouTube, like really, really a lot of research on what it would take to be successful. And part of that I learned was doing a really, really good job right out of the gate. And, and I think front loading content, which I think was an interesting strategy because like the biggest video I had was one that I shot pretty early on. And it, it's not that, I think it has like 45,000 views or something like that. It's That's the not bad. 61,000 views. 61. Okay. Yeah. So that I shot, that was actually one of the quickest ones. I just, you know, quick snatch and grab shot. I remember finally finishing up the editing, uploading it. Then we went out to ice cream with, uh, with my family and, and that was it. And then like, it has just steadily performed well. So if you, I mean, you know, when you go in the YouTube studio, you look at the analytics, most of that is searches. And so when you use something like VidIQ, you can, you probably use it where you see that little needle, like is the. No, is I've this, never used it. So VidIQ, I'm surprised actually. Um, so VidIQ is a plugin that goes in Chrome. And then when you visit YouTube, YouTube looks different to you because you have VidIQ. So it oh. will put like, when you have commenters, it'll put the number of subscribers that commenter has next to their comment. Or if you go in a video, it'll automatically tell you the keywords that that publisher used for that video. It's stuff that is sort of under the hood and it's just pulling it out and putting it front page. Huh. So anyway, with the search terms, th there's a tool that'll say, here's a heavily searched term that has relatively little competition. So when you target those, oh. your videos can do well. So like, like if I try to do a video on, you know, what's, what would Mr. Beast think of my dental office? No one would care because it, Mr. Beast is like, everyone's making videos about Mr. Beast. Right. But if you find something a little more niche, that's like, what's it like to do dentistry in you know, mid Michigan, then yeah, you're not going to get as many views, but you'll get 
all of the views of, you know, everybody searching for that. So it's, it's, I like the game for sure. There's a lot of strategy to it, but um, yeah. So that, that's kind of where I, you know, front loaded it and then went back to work. So that cut into our time a little bit. I joined the eldership board at my church, which we talked about last time. I, my term was just up in January. That took some time, had another kid, had a sort of middle priority health crisis that caused a lot of, um, a lot of anxiety. And, and so that was, I lost momentum, I guess you could say. And so I, I was sort of forced to step back and see if, is this YouTube thing really worth it? Another rabbit hole. I actually was lucky enough to be accepted to a master's program at a fairly prestigious university. It's an online computer science degree. So I'm about halfway through that. Oh, so wow. that took a lot of time too. So I, it's, uh, a lot of irons in the fire and they're all kind of sort of flaming out at once at this point. What's the intersection between dentistry and computer science? I would imagine there is one. There's some, I love computer science. Um, I've always have, I really wish I would have done it in undergrad. I, I got a degree in biochemistry because with dental school, you have a certain amount of prerequisites you have to hit. So it's, you know, biology, chemistry, physics, whatever. So I, I looked at all that and said, what's the closest degree to that with the fewest, I ended up getting a degree in biochemistry is probably of all disciplines. I'm probably less competent in biochemistry than almost any other discipline, which is, which is really, <laughs> I don't know what that says, but um, yeah, I, I like, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool. The technology is cool. Dentists are more consumers of technology. There's not a lot of dentists that are very tech savvy. So it's more of a hobbyist. My dad, honestly, I, my dad is not like an outgoing guy, but I feel like he would make an incredibly interesting randos conversation. So to give you a little background on him, he started as a road technician for like old school games, like pinball machines. And then when the game started having integrated circuits, it was like, well, I should probably learn what this is all about. So there, I mean, he's working on back when like, you know, Pong wasn't, Pong wasn't firmware. Pong is just like ICs onto the board and they were like soldered, desoldering chips and replacing things. And from that kind of parlayed that into a position in computers at the newspaper, which if you remember those big computer rooms with the suction cups, you have to pull the panels off. I remember that as a kid. Then from that moved his way up into management. The newspaper got into data analytics and now into what's called Salesforce, which is Salesforce is kind of like the backbone of a right. lot of CRM stuff. So if any churches use like, um, what is it? Church community builder yep. that's built yep. on Salesforce, yep. that kind of thing. So he's kind of a Salesforce. So anyway, long story short, I've always been surrounded by a fairly deep conversations about technology and I've never been content to like look at a piece of technology and say, oh, that's cool. It's more like, what's that going to do? What's, what is this? I mean, one of the stories he shared with me is somebody brought him into a room in the like really early nineties and opened up a computer and said, this is connected to other computers out there in the world. And he said in that moment, he's like, well, shoot, wait, newspapers are done. It, it was, it was like that much. Of a thing. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, novel. It, it was, it was really, it, it, I, it, I've kind of, been more of a thinker like that and not not to say i'm always right or he's always right or whatever right. but my my mind has always worked that way and so just to kind of get under the hood in computers was one of them and then the other one was sort of you know what jordan peterson describes building your arc i you know if i cut my hand off on the table saw or something i've got another skill set that i can use <laughs> <laughs> oh interesting 
This is fascinating. So how... So what engaged you about YouTube and what did you learn from it? And where do you think that intersects with this little corner and the crazy stuff that we're doing? I looked at YouTube as I always liked side things. So I, I tried to, I tried to design an app and you know, that um, just little side projects. I thought about getting into real estate, which I realized very quickly. That's, that's not me. I'm not cut out for that. I don't have, I have neither the personality nor the money. So uh, there, there, there you go. Um, so for me, part of it was like, it was interesting. It was, it was the intersection of a lot of skills that I felt like I could do that a lot of people might be able to do well once, but not across all domains. And so I really tried to learn how to be a good presenter, how to write a good script, how to research, but now how to edit and, you know, that, that kind of thing. It was a little bit of a creative outlet for sure. And then I really did have this vision eventually of sort of building a, a brand and a community around it. Cause my videos were geared toward the younger generation of dentists who's very, very, it's, it's an understatement to say that the older generation and the younger generation are completely out of touch in dentistry. It's, it's really a different career. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, That's um, so interesting to me. Cause I, so I had a dentist and he retired or went out of business, went away. And then I didn't have a dentist for a while. Cause you know, unless I get the pings on my calendar, just life keeps going. I don't worry. About oh my yeah, teeth. absolutely. And then he, and then my my son and then my wife found another dentist. So I just start going to that dentist and I get in there and I learn that there's an old dentist, a, a, a Chinese dentist. And because there's a lot of Asians in this area of oh, Sacramento, sure, yeah. Chinese, Japanese populations. And he's he's just a great guy. He's I I I really liked him as a dentist, but he was just about ready to retire. And then there's all there's a younger dentist there, too. And then there's all of the employees. And this is a quite a bit of a big, bigger operation than the last dentist that I mm -hmm. had. And you could tell that there was a lot more marketing around it. And, yeah. you know, they had the Invisalign braces and they promised how they were. This was the dentist for cowards and stuff. I wasn't a coward, but, you know, I just noticed <laughs> yeah, that. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I, I just noticed that. Wow. This this is changing because I've been to dentists all my mm -hmm. life and it's like this is kind of a there's like marketing and yeah. there's I mean th this is a whole thing now that used to just be a dentist yeah and and so I'm curious then about that generational divide what what's that about um, is it the market point. or is it technology is it culture what sort of that's a most of it's financial oh. so without getting too in the weeds I, I, and I, I know this from experience because this happened my second year of dental school they transferred student loans from being something that was more like a private loan to basically an unlimited blank check from because the government would back everything so there's there's no incentive to keep tuitions down so it used to be I, I will give you just some rough random numbers it used to be like if you graduated from dental school in 1995 you probably had $120,000 in debt you maybe made close to six figures maybe maybe not but then people could buy a practice 
And, you know, dental practice can be very profitable for, for the right price. So if you buy a dental practice, by the time your loans are paid off, et cetera, et cetera, it wouldn't be uncommon for somebody to have a practice that was grossing $700,000 a year at, you know, 60% overhead or something like that. So you're wow. really making good, good, good money. Very, very common in the 90s. And, and there are still people doing that, but with inflation and you know, when you look at dentist incomes over the last 20 years, they've, they've plateaued, which is interesting. So inflation huh. is actually eating away the salary. Um, there's a lot of, there's competition. That's, that's true. But anyway, back to the student loans, it's, it's not uncommon for somebody to come out of dental school with, you know, a $600,000 student debt load, and then go to work for Aspen and make 120 grand a year. It, that just doesn't work. I mean, it's just not, so then you end up on what, you know, one of the new income-based repayment programs where you pay, you know, 10% of your income and it doesn't even cover a third of the interest. And the idea is after, you know, it balloons up to a million and a half dollars and 25 years later, they forgive it. It, it sounds like a, like I'm making this up when I say it, it's so absurd, but that's really, that's really where the economy is right now. Um, some of its economies of scale too. I mean, when you look at, what's happened to the mom and pop hardware stores, they're still out there, but yeah. it's not like it was. And no. so there's, there's that, you know, when I joined the group that I'm a part of, part of that was because I felt like I wasn't able to compete with the economies of scale. So, you know, that as a bigger group, you get cheaper costs on supplies and you get, you know, all of these advantages that a, a, a single person doesn't have. And so there's a lot of regulatory bloat that, you know, I, call it, I uh, bloat's too loaded. Uh, a lot of regulatory requirements that, you know, didn't used to be there in terms of, I don't know, like EPA stuff and, you know, all that kind of thing. So it's, it's, you can still do really, really well. Dentist incomes, it's interesting because dentistry is super stratified. So I would guess it's really misleading to look at a dentist's average income, because I think for every, like, 10 of them that make around 150 a year, there's going to be one that makes, you know, 650 a year. And then there's people, there's kind of, you know, in between there, but it's, um, it's interesting because it's, it's a procedure based, it's essentially like a skilled trade when you think about it. So if somebody is a machine and they can crank out, you know, I work at a pretty slow pace. If someone could double my pace, which actually really isn't that unheard of they will more than double my income because they've you know covered the overhead already plus the rest is is bonus they get many that many more people through the chair exactly yeah exactly high dollar procedures and things it, it's not a knock on anybody it's just it's um it, i don't think it's like the golden age of dentistry is gone but I, I think it's it's not immune from the same economic forces that everybody's feeling now like when you said that the age of decadence is gone i think that's a really great way to describe it yeah. I think that's I think that's true in a lot of professions that yeah. that certain things have moved. One of the one of the coolest parts about being a pastor is talking to lots of other people about their That's jobs. my favorite part about my job too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt, but No, 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 that's fine. I because it's so interesting because there's all these there's all these little nooks and crannies in the world with all of these different things going on. And you look at it and say, okay, dentist, you know, helps with my teeth. That's about as the, the resolution that goes down. And then you begin to notice things and it's like, what's going on here? And, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's just fascinating sort of finding 
finding out what's going on in other people's corners. Yeah. So. You're in a really desirable area too. So you'll see more of those like marketing and things like that, like in California, especially where people want to be and want to live. If you're in rural, I don't know, bad acts or something, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit less, um, you know, it's more easy to be the, the hometown dentist. Oh, I totally believe it. And it just in terms of, well, then there's the, there's the whole question of insurance mm-hmm. because you know, if you have a, so I, I, my insurance is from my wife teaches in a public school. So she's got a California public yeah. employee oh, nice. union. And that's like, that's going to be great. That's the gold standard. Oh, so absolutely. Yeah. I, um, and, and it's funny because I went to this new dentist It kind of turned off my wife because basically they looked at her policy and basically decided we're going to line up everything that we can do to max out what yep, we can get yeah. from your policy. And my wife was like, I, I think I yeah think oh absolutely back in a couple of years I'm like honey, yeah i don't blame really her probably see the dentist <laughs> or find someone you trust yeah, yeah yeah find someone you trust but i've i've had i've been fine with them but it's you know then it like medical you know because i i work with a lot of people who basically have government insurance yeah medical has no dental benefits yeah, same with Medicaid in Michigan. They do for kids, but not yeah. for adults. So then, so then, one of the ways that you can sort of size up how people are doing, you know, economically, actually, kind of like horses, look at their teeth. And yeah. if their teeth are a real mess, it probably means they don't have any dental benefits, and they probably haven't seen a dentist for a very long time. And you, you just look in a lot of people's mouths. You, you, you. You probably wouldn't be amazed, but a lot of people would be amazed at just how bad things are for a lot of people. And yeah. and and when you don't have teeth, yeah. you know, eating things and and other. I don't need to tell you this, but um, but it's it's but yet at the same time, if you're in a very, I mean, it's the same way with churches. If you're a pastor in a rural area where there's general poverty. And that's another thing that people don't think about in America. People almost always associate poverty with urban areas mm-hmm. and rural areas in America. The Some of the poorest places in California are rural California. People don't appreciate that, but it's true. So I imagine it's yeah. very true in terms of dentistry. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I worked for a, a group. It was a community health group in mid-Michigan and the clinic in Bay City like there's one in downtown Saginaw that was very much like, this is what you expect when you, you know, low income inner city, the Bay city one was different because we would pull people drive two hours away. Like you said, that, that rural, but and it's, it's um, yeah, it, you really realize there are, there are more people in the world than you can even comprehend. Like, it, it's just like this little corner of Bay city. And I see new people every day with new crazy stories and it's, is really humbling. So here's a question. You know, as a pastor, when I talk to people, they don't have anyone or anything in their mouth. So, you know, as a dentist, how do you get the stories out of them? Uh, You know, that's how I break the ice. And that's honestly one of the reasons I'm pretty slow is because I spend a lot of time talking to people. So I'll, I'll come in, we'll, we'll talk a little bit. Not everyone's into that, but most people are. And then it makes them a little more comfortable. They kind of come out of their shell and, you know, other dentists. So you, you could, you know, I could give you a shot, wait for you to get numb and then I can go make money somewhere else. 
usually I will we'll do the injection. We'll, we'll sit and talk, shoot the breeze for five minutes. We'll get started. We'll take lots of breaks. So that's kind of, you know, that's, that's sort of the, but it's a part of my, my job that I really like. So I don't feel too bad about it. Like you said, I think you've said before you can make meaning or make money and I'm trying to make some of both. Some, some days it's you, not, you have you know, to make either, both, but <laughs> right. Yeah. But no, it's, it's a great question. Cause yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, that it is a, it's, you don't learn to understand people that talk with things in their mouth, I guess. Right. Well, well it's kind goes. of a cliche that you're, yeah. you're there and you know, that's that maybe it's the, the woman doing the cleaning or something. And she asks you a question. It's like, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, am I going to put the worst code to you here? Now, I, you know, right. I'd love to have a conversation with you, but um, yeah, you're working on my teeth right now. Yeah, get a rando slot, right? There were actually in my previous dentist, the um, the dental hygienist was very chatty. She's just in there talking to me. <laughs> yeah, some people really like that, and some people really hate it, and. <laughs> I've got, we, we work with a few different hygienists that have like different, and the patients who like either or will gravitate toward the one hygienist or the other one. So it's- uh, what's, what, what's so funny to me is as we're having this conversation, and this is, this gets into the whole YouTube conversation too, because what, over the last few months, I've had a, a group of people who are on different ends, either YouTube success or YouTube mm -hmm. failure. And they've been coming to me and they've been looking at my channel and they've been looking at what's kind of going on in this little corner of the internet. And they're like, this is your, your channel is different mm -hmm. because, and I'm still not quite sure how it's different, but it's kind of different because it, it's launched a lot of conversation. Whereas most, the goal of many YouTubers is, especially if it, it, it becomes an avenue for fame or money or something like that. The goal is get the clicks and get the AdSense. And then when you get beyond the AdSense, get the endorsements mm -hmm. and get the, you know, the, here we'll send you stuff to review and all of this stuff, get that stuff going. Yeah. And, and I, you know, first I didn't get into that, but what's, what's come is that I know this conversation about dentistry, there's going to be two or three channels that's going to watch this and they're going to make funny little videos about it. it. They're going to have conversations <laughs> about it. It's going to become branding on some strange... I am all about the memes. Like full, yeah, full license meme. I don't care. Oh, he invited it. It's going to be on. <laughs> I, yeah. So yeah, Grim Grizz will be on it for sure. But that's to me, and, and that's something that when I was talking to Upcycle Harris, you know, others people are noticing and saying, you know, we have these really cool tools and yeah, you know, you can sell stuff with it and you can make some money with it, but you know, it's a lot more fun having fun with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's like, you know, the meaning and money thing. Um, and so I, I don't know, I'm, I'm super happy about that because to me, you know, the thing about money is money comes and goes. It mm -hmm. does. It comes and goes. And sometimes money comes and sometimes money goes. And you certainly want to have enough money to meet your needs and to help other people out and to do whatever with. But the uh, the meaning stuff is, you know, this is what David Brooks, the point he made with his book, The Road to Character. It's those it's those eulogy virtues. Those yeah. are the yeah. ones that that really that really shaped the world. Um, yeah. 
yeah, three things I did not three things they button. did not teach me in dental school. Yes. What, what, tell me, tell me those. Oh, uh, I don't even remember. <laughs> one of them, one of them was giving painless shots. I don't remember the other two. I, this is fun. This is a long time ago. It's like yeah, this three ago. years. You can tell because I I look completely different. I'm like <laughs> the um, yeah, yeah. I honestly don't remember the other two. Oh, oh. I'm sure they they didn't teach you a lot of things in <laughs> dental school. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, well they didn't see, teach me a lot of things in seminary yeah. either. Yeah, and uh, it you know the the thumbnails and the titles are designed for you know engagement. And it was a lot of fun. Like I said, it's just one of those things. I, I don't know. I... All right. Let's go to your first topic now. Cause I've, oh, I've yeah, you've given me my fun. Cause I, I, again, no, I, I, pre- I love it. I look at you. I look at social media, especially Twitter. I look at Twitter and say, this should be for fun. We mm-hmm. should be having a good time on Twitter. If you're not having a good time on Twitter, go someplace else. You know, if, if it's all about your angsty, you know, warring with, people that you think are polluting the world go somewhere else just have fun with the dumb thing it's only it's only 288 characters you know and same with youtube if you're not having fun with youtube quit yeah (laughs) absolutely Absolutely. anyway what's the first topic the first topic was the orthodoxy protestant thing yeah so um long story short I i will make this short i'll give you kind of the backstory so we my wife and I grew up in the Lutheran church and we're, we live in, um, we're like right off of I-75 between Flint and Saginaw. So I, I you know, Michigan, you know where, yep. where we are. Yep. Um, there, there's a, a lot of Christmas stuff nearby. <laughs> we'll say that. Yes. I, <laughs> and if you don't know that you've probably never been to Michigan or read any billboards because right, exactly they spend a lot of money on billboards. Yep. And so that, where we live is home to the um, one of the largest churches in the LCMS, which is interesting. So the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, the yep. average congregation is like a hundred people or something like that. And I think our church has on the roster something like three or four thousand members, something like that. So we um, we used to go to church there. They started kind of doing some contemporaryish stuff, but you know, I was listening to Mark Driscoll and it just was not contemporary enough. Like it was t- it was time to get it, man. We're not like we're not saving souls doing this old-fashioned stuff so we ended up joining another church in town which is an incredible church that's the one that we're, we're currently members of i served on the elder board there and it was very much it's a it's a mini mega church I, I would say that we went from when we started going there they had something like 300 people a week and now we're up to about 1100 a week which for our, our little town is is a fair amount but um man i found so much meaning in that church especially like with the music ministry particularly so i was on the worship team and it was a i mean we're a good worship team we actually um in 2018 we produced a a single it was a song we had a good worship leader put the song together we recorded it in my basement and i dove headfirst into all the you know pop production and how to you know make it sound like it should it's it's very much waiting for you to tell me you also started a music youtube channel but i didn't know those are there's too much competition but too much competition, but anyway, that it was that was a lot of fun. I mean, the the song did what it, somehow there's some weird twist of fate. We ended up on the the radio for a few months in Michigan, which was so we actually had people come to church like, oh, I heard you on the what was it Smile FM up in Traverse City, and so that was kind of cool. So it was, wow, we we recorded that in my basement, and uh, so that was really neat. And that's been really something that that's been 
hard to come to terms with because I saw that like four years ago, I would have seen the path that my life took like different music. I did it for myself, but you know, it was selfish and I tried to do my own band for my own glory and all this kind of stuff. And now, well, now God's drawing these threads together and I'm serving in church. And now it's sort of this existential crisis that is that even what we're supposed to be doing in church is that, you know, if you look at the, the way the Orthodox view it, which I, I don't think is, I don't think is an, I don't think it's an indefensible view. I, I think it, it could be accurate for them to say like, no, church is, we need to do church the way we did it 2000 years ago. I'm not saying that's where I'm at hundred percent, but I, I'm, I'm open to that idea more than I was. And so I'm open to the idea that a lot of these things that I found meaning in previously are just like, what, what was the point? Like, what, what did I do all this? What, what value did I bring, you know, for, for the people around me or for God's kingdom? And um, so that's, that's been kind of a hard place to be, which is, which is really weird. I, I feel like you may understand that as, as a pastor in a way that a lot of people on the street would be like, well, what, what do you care? Like, what are you talking about? You had fun. It was cool. Like just do what you're doing now. You have kids, enjoy life. And um, yeah, so that's more recently we're kind of, my kids actually go to the Lutheran school in town. So of the church that we left because it's a good school. So we're there sometimes. We go to our church sometimes. We visit Orthodox churches sometimes. And we are just like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think if I was a single guy, I would probably join the Orthodox church. I, I'm, I'm like 99% sure of that. If it were just my wife and I with no kids, I'm about 85% sure we'd probably join the Orthodox church. Yeah. So now that the tension is, would we really oh, get into got a community? two sets now too right right and the, so the, that's the, different too and not even that my my older two were very much raised in the the protestant like you're going to get baptized when you have your testimony and but they were baptized in the lutheran church my younger two have orthodox names and they learned to they were venerating icons before they could talk so we're uh we, we are a mess pastor paul so if you can... <laughs> We've got what 15 minutes left. So if you can kind of just button this up for us. Well, <laughs> I, I got bad news for you. I think it's probably going to stay messy at least for a while. Yeah, no, it, I, I think so too. You know, it's, it's so funny whenever, whenever Orthodox say, well, we're, we're doing what the apostle Paul did. I, I kind of, part of me says apostle Paul didn't have a million dollars worth of stone on the floor of his church. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> he didn't have that. Um, and, and that's not, I don't mean to take a cheap, cheap shot, but it's no, but there's truth there that, that, that kind of goes undiscussed that I think is worth bringing into the conversation. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't call that a cheap shot. Well, and, and I know that, you know, many, the, the Orthodox that I, I know and respect and love, um, you know, they under, they understand the, the, the complexities and the nuances of it too. One of the things that is a continual part of the conversation on the channel is wives of, people in the corner who aren't orthodox with their husbands there's mm -hmm. and there's a lot of them and there's a lot of that and then sometimes the whole family goes and really fits in and it goes well it's we for, for many of us who grew up in churches where the whole family sort of came in the same church 
it was it was a it was a nice package and everything was in there and part of what has happened in the culture is so much disruption and dislocation and in some ways this little corner of the internet is is just as much part of the problem as part of the solution in that maybe one member of the family is watching all these crazy videos with you know this this reformed pastor and the icon carver and a canadian psychologist and a cognitive scientist and the one member of the family has got all of these conversations going on in his head and the wife is doing what over here? She's, you know, maybe working a job trying to keep the family together mm -hmm. and do things. And then when it comes to church, you know, I remember, you know, Nathan Jacobs, when I, when I talked to him a long time ago on the channel and he was talking about his story and he was talking about, you know, his wife and going to the Orthodox church and he's talking to his priest is like my wife, you know, my wife doesn't want to come. And he's like, um, well, you know, Jacob's kind of like, you know, you know, I try and argue with her and the Orthodox priest says, I wouldn't want to argue with you either. Um, I mean, it's people, every time a family has to figure out where to go to church, especially if there are children involved, it's going to be a conversation that's going to have compromises. It's just is. And, and there are going to be compromises. How far is the church away? Um, what kinds of programming is for the kids? What's their tradition? What's their theology? What's their music? What's the temperature of the community? Because you can have a church with absolutely your preferred theology and everything else is a mess. And you can have a church that's a little wonky on some other things are a little wonky on theology, but there's a there's a there's a sense of community and a sense of life and there's a real flourishing going on. And size of church, big church, small church. So it's I have a great amount I have a great amount of sympathy for people who are trying to make this work because in the end, you do have to find something that works good enough because good enough is better than not working at all or you not mm -hmm. going. So, and it's, you know, in terms of, as a pastor, you learn this very quickly. The wife goes to this church, the husband goes to this church, um, you know, and yeah, I, I wish I had, you know, some solution for you. No, I've, I've just, I didn't. No, I'm I know you know, kind of but, tongue in cheek, but. but, but there's a lot of people that part of it, there's a lots and lots and lots of people are wrestling with this and it's only getting worse mm -hmm. as sort of the old communal, I mean, if you went, if you lived even in a small town and there was basically one church or your whole family grew up in one church, then in the 1950s and 60s and 40s and 30s before that, if you grew up Christian Reformed, quite likely your whole family went to the Christian Reformed church, your aunts and uncles went to the Christian Reformed church, your grandparents went to the same church, and all of you would be there under that. Mm -hmm. And this has all changed. And, you know, like with the dentistry story, there's lots of moving parts to this and just about all the aspects of life. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But I think on the other hand, not to be a prophet of doom or despair. No. Part of what this is provoking is a... You know, what some of the people who have followed this little corner have been talking about lately is they're saying, and they've been saying for a while, there's an ecumenicity here. 
that the Protestants are learning from the Orthodox and the Lutherans are, you know, informing the Orthodox. And there's there's a cross fertilization that's going on in the church in America, which is probably over the very long run important and healthy for us all. I think so. I yeah. To give you a concrete example, that is very specific. I um I I think those influences i know you told me that uh was it three years ago when we talked two years ago two years ago that you would see you know yeah the orthodox is going to influence these other churches but the other churches are coming into orthodoxy as well and i remember thinking like i don't i don't know how that's going to happen because they're they're so guarded but then i just recently watched a video and i'm probably going to get his name wrong is it gavin ortland yeah it does yeah. yeah what did you see that where you talked about the orthodox perspective so he critiqued he, he critiqued Peugeot's perspective that orthodoxy yeah. is the fullness of the faith. And basically, yeah, 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 I watched that one. Yeah, I thought that was really good because yeah. he, he was very gentle and very charitable with it. But he said, you know, look, this is through history. Protestants were heretics on the church's view. Most of the orthodox, most of the orthodox that I see now don't view Protestants as, you know, heretics that are destined for hell. So that's great that they view that. But now you don't get to say that you're unchanging as a body. And I thought that's, there's a point to that and then uh, a corollary on our side where i, I just kind of i want i feel like i need to explain it a little bit better with our, our babies venerating icons but um that's been really interesting to watch because from like sort of the john verveke perspective because my my one-year-old knows that he loves jesus and i know that he knows that because he knows he knows what a kiss means he knows what a bedtime kiss is he knows i watch him even kiss stuffed animals that he likes and he kisses the icon of Jesus on a regular basis. He already knows he loves Jesus and that, that we're not waiting for him to be old enough to understand the stories and yeah. understand the Roman road so that he can give his yeah. testimony and get dunked in the, you know, the, on stage. It's more like you love Jesus now and you're going to grow into that, but we're, we're starting you off. And so that, I think that's an interesting Orthodox thing that we adopted that I think makes it, it like it, it's not, it doesn't have value just because it makes pragmatic sense, but it does make pragmatic sense in a way that I, I would not have seen, you know, just mm. a few years ago. Mm. So I, I think you're really right on when you say that churches will influence each other. I think it, it might be more one-sided than the other. Like, I, I think it's very unlikely that, you know, my church's music is going to, inf, you know, influence the Orthodox church's music, but I don't know. Well, <laughs> you're smiling. Like, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. We, we don't know what's going to happen. And we, you know, this is something that I learned early on watching conservatives in my own denomination, because they were there. We haven't changed. I was looking at them thinking, no, oh, you've changed a lot. Now you're looking at a few things, a few boundary marker things and saying, we we don't have women in office. We don't practice. We don't allow children at the Lord's Supper. We don't, they had all, they were paying all of this attention to certain things and saying, these things aren't changing. But lots of other stuff in their churches were changing. They, you know, people were going to Florida on vacation and weren't necessarily worshiping in a Christian Reformed church when they went to Florida. And I remember long enough ago that if a good Christian Reformed family went on vacation, they would pretty much only go to vacation where there was a Christian Reformed church nearby where they could go. And that sounds crazy today. Mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. even a lot of conservatives would say, well, that's 
that's part of the tradition that we, oh, okay, so stuff has changed. And, and part of the difficulty is that even if you decide you're not going to change, you, again, by virtue of combinatorial explosiveness, there are always going to be things that you focus your attention on. Say, mm -hmm. I'm not changing this. But um, the car you're driving has changed. Well, that doesn't make any difference. It doesn't. You know, if you look at, so in the 19, what year was it? Was it 1930 or so? My grandfather and three other seminarians left Grand Rapids, Michigan on a seminary choir tour. And they, my grandfather left a little diary, a little journal, and it's got pictures of it. And I scanned them all. I had it on my blog for a while. I should really, I should really revive it because my father typed it all out because he could understand my grandfather's scrawl. And so my grandfather and these three other seminarians, all of them single, because even into the 1950s, if you were, you couldn't, they, they frowned on seminarians getting married and the tradition had enough strength that it could hold it back. And actually one of the former ministers of this church got secretly married and then wow. didn't let the seminary know. And then once the seminary found out, well, what was the seminary going to do about it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Really? What are you going to do about this? Um, yeah. So, but these four single seminarians set off in an old car drove from Grand Rapids, Michigan, all the way to the West Coast of the United States. And they would travel and they would hit Christian Reformed churches. They would stay in the parsonage with the family. The people would feed them. They'd take a little small, this was during the Depression, they'd take a little small offering for them to give them gas money and off they would go to the next one. And that tour was a part of a whole world that is no longer here today. When you read oh, the I diary, yeah, okay. there's... You know, they had flat tires all the time. They fixed them themselves. You know, they had various kinds of car trouble. When they went to when they went to Yellowstone, for example, you know, there's just pictures of bears all over because everyone is feeding the bears. And mm -hmm. and and now again, someone might say, Oh, but the church hasn't changed. Oh my goodness, the church has changed a ton. People would not be bringing them into their homes. They'd, they'd have more money. They'd probably put them up in a hotel. They wouldn't be mm -hmm. driving from place to place. They would be flying to these places. Um, you know, it, it's, it's things change. Now, how they change and then how you see this in the life, you see this in the life of the church. Um, periods of, periods of persecution, periods of flourishing, Constantine, um, Islam, I mean, they, they always change. And so churches change with them. And the the question isn't to just sort of throw everything off and say everything changes. No. The, 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 the whole game is continuity. What mm -hmm. needs to stay the same? Yeah. And figuring that out. And that's where... That's where the entire game is played. And so, and now when your family comes in, you have to figure out, okay, what does, what does the gospel mean for us and how do we live it out in all these areas of our life? And pretty much every yeah. church will tell you that, will tell, say, yeah, that is the important thing. But then a lot, there's going to be a lot of discussion yeah. as to what, what, yeah. what is permitted and what isn't. So. Yeah, that's really interesting.
I, and I, don't, I, I don't, again, I don't want to, I don't want to dump on the Orthodox because that's no, not, not my intention. All. Every no, time because... someone tells me, Pastor, you've had a big influence in my life. I'm now a member of the Orthodox Church. I say, praise God. You, awesome. you go there. You go to, you go to liturgy. I want you to go to Orthodox. I want you to wear out that million dollars worth of stone on that ground. <laughs> yeah. And I want you to dive deep in and I want you to find Jesus and I want you to have a family and I want you to flourish. Praise yeah. God for that. That's awesome. But I, I, I wonder from the Orthodox, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but like I, cause I've thought about this a little bit of um, like to, to steel man the case for Orthodoxy. I would say that the monastic life in the monasteries are kind of something that they say, that's, that's not going to change. Let's tuck that away as a standard and then refer back to that when we're making decisions about our church. So I think that yeah. that's what I would say is, is going to kind of put the brakes and not even that it, it, it's just a little bit of resistance to change. I'm not saying that they're, that's going to allow them to draw lines that are never crossed. It's more just, if you want to cross the line, you're going to have a thousand pound weight, you know, strapped to your back that you have to yeah. go along with yeah. you. Well, and recently I heard something where unlike the Catholic church, the, the, uh, I don't even know if the name, I'm sure some Orthodox in the comment section are going to correct me, but you know, the Catholic church has sort of the, the secular clergy and what they mean by that, which doesn't make any sense in English is that the clergy that are in the local churches, apparently oh, when, you go, okay. when you go oh, up the it. hierarchy yeah. in the, in the Orthodox church, it's the monastics that tend to take the, mm -hmm. the positions in the hierarchy and so a local church pastor doesn't climb up a, a denominational yeah. um, thing. And I don't know exactly how it works in the Catholic church either. And my point isn't to throw stones at anybody, but, no, no, but your point is a good one that, in fact, if your hierarchy is being dominated by monastics, that's going to have an impulse, that's going to have an impact on the way things play out in the church. I, I just finished having, so I... I, I've been on Zoom all day, which I almost never do, but it just worked out. This I, way. I hope I'm the last one. and You, you are the last one. Oh, and then good, I should so. probably make a video that I'm dying <laughs> to make, but um, it's because of the blowout in my schedule. But I, I was talking to my brother-in-law, who's, who's a member at Park Street Congregational in Boston. And they just, there's a major write-up in Christianity today about, they've got a, they've got a major, they've got a major issue right now in their church going on. And you know, he was walking through how they just had a, a congregational meeting this last Sunday that went from one in the afternoon to seven at night. They're fun. Yeah, fun. Uh, he was just <laughs> describing what was going on. And I was just, I was just, I was just horrified because it's like, oh, this is, oh, this is so many levels of pain. And of course, they're a congregational church, so they have their own bylaws and they have rules about their bylaws. And that's very different from, let's say, how it would work in a Christian Reformed church because we have denominational rules and classical rules. And the church around the world is astoundingly diverse on so many things. Mm -hmm. And when you when you begin to listen to how that particular conflict is playing out, you realize that a lot of little things that nobody who visits that church would ever think of, like the bylaws of the church, actually have an impact on so many things that happen there. Mm -hmm. And and that runs through 
all of this, all of this incredible array of different kinds of churches that we have in North America. So, um, yeah, I, you know, God bless the Orthodox and I, I plan on all of us will learn some things from them because I'm sure they've got some, some things to teach us. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, uh, see, we started talking about your biz and then talked about my biz. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Like I said, the best part of my job is learning about other people's, you know, line of work. So, yeah. Well, Adam, this has been fun. And um, I, I've got, I've got, I've got a whole slew of conversations now. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, how I'm going to feed them to the channel. Um, I, 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 I usually put them in no wait, no ads first. And then I get some little clips out of them because my, just like, and you know this very well, having had a YouTube channel. So often, so many of the Randall's conversations, I think there's such good stuff in them, but people see, you know, I could put thumbnails on and, you know, I could do all, I can, I can gussy that up. But the truth is if I gussy it up and put a clickbaity title on and put other pictures on and they click on and they see, I don't know who he's talking to, you know, they, how, what percentage of people click away in the first 30 oh, seconds? It's, uh isn't it like amazing videos you'll retain like 50 percent after 10 seconds or something like yeah that? yeah it's it's astounding so i I'd, I'd rather just say this is a randos video but i'll do a little i'll do a little clipping and stuff to say you know in those randos videos there's gold and um don't just think you can learn things from celebrities and experts you can learn things from from people who are a whole lot more like you because they're actually dealing with many of the same kinds of things you are just being mm -hmm. a rando and a Miranda in whatever country you're in. So, yeah. Anyway, Adam, this is really, fun. Yeah. Same here. I really appreciate your time. So I didn't mean to uh, kick the door down on your, your channel. No, no, you so didn't kick it down. It's not your fault. I let the, I let the, I let the, I left the gate open and <laughs> everybody walked in a bunch of wild animals. When you come home, but I, I, but again, I decided, I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to write any of them and turn them away. And I'm really glad I haven't because it's always, and I'm sure, you know, as a dentist and a father and all of these things, it's always a hug of war in terms of where do I put my time? What's the best way to do it? Oh, absolutely. So, so that, that I got at this whole big run of randos. That's okay. That's, that's all right. That's why we watch. <laughs> all right, Adam. It's so good to talk to you. You too. Take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? So I am uh, 37 years old. I grew up in the Lutheran Church. So Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which is of all the spectrum of Lutheran churches, we're a pretty conservative one. I went to a Lutheran middle school up through eighth grade and then a public high school. And it was kind of my early 20s, I actually got really interested in sort of like Eastern philosophy, Buddhism, meditation, I did some martial arts, stuff like that. And um, those ideas kind of always resonated with me, but I always still made, you know, the Pascal's wager of the Protestant, you know, I'm, <laughs> my hope is in Jesus for my salvation. And um, that never changed. I almost wonder looking back if there's not a parallel between like my interest in some of those other religions and other people at that same time finding their way into atheist materialism, like a crisis of faith. They go through college and encounter new ideas, things like that. Um, 
long story short, I met my wife when I was in my first year of dental school. We got married pretty quickly after we met. We were both really interested in kind of the, the Protestant Christian world. And so Mark Driscoll was really big at the time. We listened to a lot of Driscoll sermons, got really familiar with a lot of that content. And because of that, we sort of moved away ideologically from the Lutheran church, even though we were still attending. And now we go to a, uh, a you know, non-denominational church, which there's sort of a denomination to the non-denom churches. We go to sort of a mini mega church, if you will. And more recently, and it wasn't since I've encountered um, like Jordan Peterson's ideas, especially they resonate with me as like a person who really likes science and Jonathan Peugeot, especially I've got my uh, Jonathan Peugeot shirt on for this, as you can see some, some Peugeot merch and just tying this whole thing together, these ideas from these sort of Eastern you know, mystical ideas tied into Christianity. We've both been really intrigued by orthodoxy and some of the doctrine seems to make a, a lot of sense. And I was really just hoping to get your take on that phenomenon as a Protestant pastor. And the reason I wanted to reach out to you specifically, and, and I have to you know, personally say thank you for the content you're doing, the work that you're doing. I don't see anybody else with a Protestant background in a you know committed Protestant church sort of exploring these, the space and interacting with these, these thinkers. And so again, personally, not just for me, but your whole community, a, a genuine thank you to the work you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. You know, gosh, it's, so of course I started, I found Jordan Peterson. I think he was mentioned in a Rod Dreher blog. And of course, once I was reading Rod Dreher, to the to one degree or not i was already sort of adjacent to this thing because of course that's drear's path he he went there right. earlier and then jordan peterson and how peterson was addressing and, and again when i think back you know i i didn't quite know why i was intrigued by him i had some inclinations and then very quickly people are like oh you should talk to jonathan Peugeot. I didn't, I could barely pronounce the dude's name. And I watched a couple of his videos. I was like, I have no idea what's going on with this right, guy. Yeah. And so then I, I spoke with John a couple of times and continuing with these rando slots and conversations. And then the discord, um, the guys from my local meetup here started the discord and, you know, then suddenly all of these people sort of wandering over to orthodoxy or curious about orthodoxy or exploring right. orthodoxy. And that was interesting. I had a number of years before I had met, I had read Molly Worthen's book on um, uh, Apostles of Reason, which is kind of a, a treatment of uh, the neo-evangelical movement in the 50s and 60s, um, Carl F. Henry, Billy Graham, Fuller Seminary. And there's a really, there's a couple of interesting passages in that book where there was, there were earlier waves of orthodox curious that went through the church as well. And I noted that. And then one of the church planters in the area well, so then when I was here in Sacramento, we were doing church planting. And so then we would tend to get guys straight out of seminary. And when we started that, it was still toward the end of the 
you know, the megachurch non-denominational seeker movement. But within a few years, a lot of the younger guys in their church plants were doing typed out liturgy, weekly communion. And they, you know, one of them was talking about orthodoxy and it's like, wow, huh, what's, what's, what's going on here? And of course, now, since the Randall's conversations and the Jordan Peterson stuff, I'm, I'm fairly neck deep into it. And I haven't done a lot of conversing with Orthodox priests. I've had some invitations from some of them and just scheduling. It never really worked out. I, I guess that the main questions I have still are number one, to what degree is this wave going to be a redux? In other words, you have Orthodox immigrants coming over, especially since the, the fall of the Soviet Union, the, um, the, and so you've got all these immigration reopened to the United States to the degree that here in Sacramento, there's a significant um, Slavic, Ukrainian, Russian population that when my son, who actually kind of looks like you, um, when he was in high school, he had long hair. And he when he'd go to he went to the local public school and he was known to be white, not Russian, because there are so many Russians around that they had to distinguish. Oh, wow. The uh, non the non uh, the whites, the non Russians from the Russian whites. Yeah, right. And um, many of them who came to Sacramento were actually evangelicals, which was fascinating. So there's this, there's sort of old country, old world orthodoxy that's been in America. Now, Jonathan Peugeot, when he comes to orthodoxy through French Canadian, his parents went evangelical. Now yeah. he's in orthodoxy. Another, you know, another friend who came through the discord, she was a Protestant missionary in Africa. She came back to North America, met someone via the Discord server and is, you know, pursuing orthodoxy. I, I've had a number of conversations off camera with couples and individuals who are exploring it. Uh, my, my conversation with, with Sally um, that, that was on the channel, so uh, who was, again, pursuing orthodoxy, I'm I'm sort of waiting to see what happens longer term with many of these people coming in with this wave into orthodoxy, how, how many will stick? Because I think, yeah. I think some will, you know, they're excited. It's new. Um, it, it resolves a bunch of, of tensions and questions that are sort of um, within Augustinian Protestantism. So Nathan Jacobs, who I had conversations on with early on, who went to my alma mater, got a PhD at Calvin Seminary, and then went Orthodox. You're really curious to know what my professors <laughs> think about that. Sure. So, and, and he seems very, you know, he's an artist. He seems very much at home. I think some who are going there will stick. It'll, it'll stick mm -hmm. and they'll stay sure. there productively and happily. I think others who go there will find well, you know, again, every church is different too. So some are going to have real synergy with their priest and that there's going to be good synergy with the community. Others, 
it might not work. And so they might wind up Roman Catholic. They might go back to some Protestant church. So I'm really just kind of watching and waiting. And I understand why orthodoxy, um, a, a good number have also been sort of gone Roman Catholic and sometimes Eastern rights Catholic groups or, you know, things like that. Sure. But I, I'm, I'm of the opinion, generally speaking, that there's no real simply going back. Every time you sort of go back, it's also forward because everything that's hmm. happened, you're going to bring into that space. And so it's going to be a new mix. And it might be a great mix. Sure. But it's not going to be what burn power is finding in Tbilisi, Georgia. <laughs> it's okay. Gonna be sure. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Cause that was my thoughts on Protestantism is, and I think it's, I want to take credit for the idea. Maybe I can't, but I remember saying before I heard Peugeot say it, that Protestantism is kind of steeped in this Western enlightenment rationalism with some supernatural addenda added on to explain the questions that, that we can't answer. And I feel like um, almost as soon as you seed that territory, it, it sort of lays the groundwork for scientism because the way we look at it and the argument I've heard, and I think it's a fairly plausible argument that atheists make is they say, we've got two baskets. There's a, a basket of natural things and a basket of supernatural things. And over the last hundred years, we've been able to take things out of the supernatural basket and put it in the natural basket. And, um, and, and humans like trends. We think trends are our truth. It's funny. My brother-in-law is a financial planner and um, shared with me the statistic that traders on average that actively trade their portfolios underperform the market average. And I think the reason is we see these trends, trend that goes up. Uh, we, we try to jump on it and then we get burned. And, you know, so, so the parallel would be, we see this trend of things moving from supernatural explanations to natural explanations. So the argument that naturally follows is, look, eventually we're going to empty out this supernatural basket and apologetics. And I was, I was really into apologetics for a while, like William Lane Craig and those guys, their sort of mode of operating is to say these things in the supernatural basket have to stay here. There's no rational way we're going to be able to take them out. And, and that's, I think that's a decent exercise in the culture that we're in. But what I've seen in orthodoxy that I haven't seen in Protestantism and, and would be curious to hear your thoughts if this is something we could, we could bring into Protestantism is this idea of a whole worldview it's a system that's a whole worldview that a way through which we view the world like the natural world is an extension of the meaning that underlies it rather than meaning being you know epiphenomenal to naturalism which again i don't think we would say that as protestants but i don't think we interact with that idea enough on the whole i think that's right part of you know when i when i now four years later look back and ask myself what intrigued me about Jordan Peterson? It was that he was trying to resolve what might be called Cartesian dualism. That's what Albert sure, sure. phrases it. Um, Peugeot is clearly trying to lay out or explicate an integrated worldview where spirit isn't reliant upon a separate substance than 
matter, material substance, to, to have the world connect. And I, so not only will all of these former evangelicals and Protestants coming into the Orthodox Church change Orthodoxy in America, but Orthodoxy in America is going to change Protestant churches too. I mean, it's going to go both ways, and that's already happening. And that was happening, you know, a decade before I found Jordan Peterson, and we've had these conversations here. We're seeing the process underway. Now, part of the new atheist assault was, like you said, I think you said it really nicely, we're skeptical about what's in the supernatural basket. There's only one basket. And so what you have exactly on the, yeah. on the other end of that is now Peterson and Peugeot saying, yeah, you're right. There's only on one basket, but these things that are in the supernatural basket, you're not getting rid of that. In fact, the things in this other basket that you're relying on, those are actually dependent upon exactly the one basket is nested in the other. Exactly. And, and that, that conversation so, so I was, I just finished a really interesting conversation. I hope he decides to share it. Um, uh, and we, we, we touched on the issue of scale, okay. which is what I'm always pushing Verveke on, that this is going to have to get down to people with low IQs, people who are never going to watch videos, you know, moms, women, um, busy people who have no time for any of this esoteric jargon. Right. That happens through the church. It takes a while, but it is happening. And usually what happens in the culture is that the, these pressures that you and I are feeling and we're talking our way through it and as a community, we're sort of digesting it. Those pressures are also on people who are not paying any attention to this conversation. And so there's actually adjustments that they're undergoing too that we're going to begin to see. And I mean, this is how... This is how things actually change cultures. So it's coming. And I, you know, again, as I've said many times, I have zero problem with people pursuing orthodoxy because number one, that's it's Christianity. Number two, I think the Orthodox Church in America is going to bless the larger American church by bringing to America access to certain, you know, certain theologies and a heritage that for the most part in America, America started almost uniformly Protestant mm -hmm. and then Catholics have been sort of coming in and having a powerful impact, especially in the last 50 years. And now it's the Orthodox turn they're going to come in. And America has always sort of been this, it is in many places or in many ways, a religious melting pot where the, the ortho, what's, what's the, the treasures from orthodoxy are going to be brought into the conversation and that will change Catholicism in America and it'll change Protestants. And, and then what happens usually is all, some of these new things, these are going to go out to the rest of the world because America is such a cultural leader in the world, and that's going mm -hmm. to be diffused out into mission, 
you know, mission movements in Africa and Asia, just as those movements are now also coming back to America. America is sort of this, this pot in which it, it, it spills out into the rest of the world, but the rest of the world also contributes to it. And sure. so it's a very dynamic system. And orthodoxy is an important part to play in that, I think, right now. That's that's really fascinating. That point about how the the influences happen slowly, but you kind of have to get down to the ground level in order to do that. Do you see technology changing the way that that plays out? And so the background I would give to that question is, for example, the the printing press, where ideas sort of became something else. They're, they're almost tangible because you, you, by holding, you know, you can hold paper. I can almost hold an idea, and I can share the idea that. It, and so there's almost this, I wonder if with the advent of the printing press, the press and enlightenment rationality, if those two things kind of came on together as part of the same idea. And I, I could be wrong on this. It's just something I'm sort of thinking of in the moment. But the, the idea that we can write and share ideas, now all of a sudden those ideas themselves have more value than they would in the abstract. And so now that information is so liquid that we can, we have, you know, algorithms that are sort of manipulating the way we think about things, if there will be some other pressures to rearranging the way that we think about the world, or if, if it's such a strong phenomenon for things to change at the ground level that communication like this will be able to kind of supersede any technological influences. Well, I think I, I think the technological influences are going to come part and parcel with it. I mean, even now, you know, I think about this often because I'm I'm always sort of torn between investing my time and energy in YouTube mm -hmm. versus, let's say, writing. Because before YouTube, I did a lot more writing, and since YouTube, I've done less writing, and they're very different media mm -hmm. but if i were writing these things in a book it wouldn't have my voice it wouldn't sure. have my beard it wouldn't have my bad habit of not finishing my sentences it wouldn't have the pathos that i bring at times <laughs> in video sure or even just in audio so yeah this this is gonna be a big change and even with respect to the questions of orthodoxy. So Sunday morning, I, um, you know, I was getting ready for church. And for some reason, I, you know, I, I usually spend Sunday morning getting, getting ready for church, not just in terms of dressed and everything, but getting my messages polished sure, off sure. and planned out. But somehow I opened up YouTube and there, right there, there was both the Oklahoma City Orthodox Church live streaming and right below it, uh, Madison Square Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a church I used to attend, they were live streaming. So I dropped into both live streams. And, you know, obviously, they're, they're vastly different in that the Protestant church, the preacher was there, the stage was there, it was very Protestant. Mm -hmm. The Orthodox Church, it was very Orthodox. The, the cantor was going through the liturgy. The camera was static. You could see the walls, the lighting. And I thought, huh, it's, 
it's easier to go to church online in Protestantism by virtue of the shape of the Protestant Reformation and the printing press. Yes, yes, 100%. Than, I mean, just, just having a camera in an Orthodox church listening to the canter doesn't make for good TV. Um, right, right. So that's, but now yet, the, the, I mean, it's so funny because I really have to dig up the clip of Nathan Jacobs because one of the things that, that I learned from him very early on was part of the value of orthodoxy that he eventually embraced was he sees all this innovation that happened after Augustine. And of course, Luther, Calvin, very much follow Augustine. The Protestant Reformation is deeply Augustinian. Uh, Nathan Jacobs had a lot of critique of Augustine. And so, you know, really value the Orthodox because they've maintained the message. Okay, fair enough. And actually, Protestantism is an entire effort to reclaim a message that they believe all kinds of other things had affixed onto it. And so it was, it was very much a, mm -hmm. a primitivist impulse. We're going to get back to Sure. And, and, but orthodoxy is similar in that way because they're saying, no, we've, we've not only maintained the theology or the principles. I've heard orthodox preachers basically throw in that book, you know, just throw that out. But we've made, I mean, it's all in the liturgy. We've maintained the liturgy, but you're doing it in English. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so that, that is not a, you know, in that sense, Mr. Orthodox, you're post your own Vatican too, because you're mm -hmm. doing it in English and you've had to adapt to have it intelligible in America. And those adaptations are not inconsequential. And so all of those tensions, we're going to be sifting through. And as people who have, let's say, gone the whole full gamut so they were raised in church and then in early adolescence they threw the thing off and they listened to all kinds of sam harris and then they jumped yeah. on the jordan peterson bandwagon and then they found peugeot and now they're seeking an orthodox church all of those steps are still built into them mm -hmm. and they're going to bring all of that into the orthodox church and the orthodox you know at least that i'm aware of are plenty internet savvy. Sure. You're wearing orthodox merch. Yeah, right. 100%. <laughs> so that's not that's not nothing. Mm -hmm. And and I don't I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying all of this is part of the process. And orthodoxy has and will continue to change too, but differently than, you know, the, the big evangelical church when they hear that podcasts are the hot thing. So Mark Driscoll leans into podcasting and, you know, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So I'm, I'm just aware of all this stuff and I'm, I'm fascinated to watch it all develop because it's, it's going to happen. And the technology is going to impact it. And, and again, the conversation that I did with Sally, where 
She was so frustrated at her Orthodox parish because they basically closed down. And I watched that one. That was, yeah. yeah, that was great. And so there she's sitting with her Orthodox study Bible out on her front lawn. And she's like, I'm a Protestant again. Right, right. Because <laughs> yes. she doesn't want to submit to her priest. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that submission is part and parcel of the whole package. Whereas the Protestants tend to be, well, this is a voluntary association, come or don't come. And all of that stuff is built into the political, the religious culture of America, volunteerism. So it's, it's a very live, it's a very live experiment. And I think it's a happy one, but we're all going to find out stuff where that surprises us. Some good, some bad. Yeah. No, that that's absolutely fascinating. I know exactly what you're saying with that. And I, I've thought the same thing that Protestantism, there's, there's an ethos there that's very American individualistic, even to, you know, the criticism Protestants often get, which is you're allowed to interpret scripture for yourself. Sola Scriptura, it's, it's what I read. And there's sort of a individual element to that. And I think that would be, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe orthodoxy's critique of even even these influences entering orthodoxy itself, that there could be some good ideas that come in, but they're going to bring things in with them. This idea of being able to choose your own, you know, choose your own adventure, so to speak. And and that's along the lines of what you said with the YouTube thing. And that that's kind of, I think what I was trying to touch on this idea that the, the Protestant church in, in Grand Rapids makes for better TV than the Orthodox church. And so the medium is, is not entirely agnostic to the thing that it's piping through. And so natural selection will, you know, the, if we have our, our church has better lights or we have better lighting, our theology all of a sudden is going to have a little bit more credibility in that medium because it's going to reach more people. These ideas are going to resonate. They're going to be discussed. Whereas the, the orthodoxy, that might not be the case. And um, again, I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I think it's, like you said, it's kind of a fascinating part of this, this whole experiment. Yeah. Well, and, and people sometimes don't see that, you know, the dome with Christ on it, mm-hmm. that's a technology. You know, that's in many ways, that's, um, that's, that's Roman. I don't mean Western Roman because the Easterns considered themselves Roman, you know, the dome, that's all technology and the art, the frescoes or the mosaics, that's all technology. It's, it doesn't, you know, we're not born into the world with frescoes and domes and, sure, sure. and icons. These are, they're of a period and, and the period is, is that again not incidental and so mm-hmm. you know if you listen to say jonathan peugeot's origin story he's in art school when he when he decides to get into icons he's going to intentionally and specifically choose traditional iconography mm-hmm. because there's contemporary iconography and and jonathan peugeot turned away from that so that's a very primitivist originist movement but even what once we once we put our choice in and our preference in you know it's it's hard not to choose in 2021 and not 
enact a consumerist spirit. Mm-hmm. Which, which again, when when some begin, well, I'm going to choose orthodoxy. Are you going to still choose it when your priest says, you know, we're closing because of COVID, or everybody needs to wear a mask, or nobody's allowed to wear a mask? I mean, are you are you really going to submit to your priest? And what if the priest in this parish and the priest in this parish are not on the same page? And then, you know, how does that respond to the hierarchy or their bishops? And I mm-hmm. mean, you, you don't really escape these questions. And, and, and again, that's not to say that the questions are bad, but it's, um, it's there, we, always and and this is deeply within protestantism because you know with luther wow you know now via the printing press now via erasmus we have an opportunity to do better than saint jerome and the vulgate Mm -hmm. we're going to get at the text itself and once we get at the text itself then all of these other questions that were that are plaguing us about relics and indulgences and um, corruptions in the clergy and all of this other stuff. We're going to all, that's going to sweep everything away. Well, it didn't. And so, um, neither will deciding I'm going to undo the Protestant reformation and I'm going to undo the great schism. And I'm going back to the liturgy that seems to have the closest DNA connection to the apostle Paul. Well, you're going to do it in Greek. And the last I read the New Testament, Paul didn't leave us a liturgy. Well, I'm going to go back to Christostom. Oh, okay. That's fine. But Christostom was not Paul. And there were a number of centuries between them. So the, the, the impulse of always trying to get behind or underneath or around, that there's, there's reason for that. But you don't finally, I don't find it compelling to, to say, okay, then, then now I, I'm at the quintessential. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm still, I remain skeptical. Yeah. No, that, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, especially like you said, those problems that exist in orthodoxy, they're so visible in Protestantism that in contrast, it looks like well, they, it doesn't look like they're dealing with the same issues, but the interview, was it, is Sally, do I have that right? Yeah. The, yeah. That interview that was really in, enlightening for me when she said, yeah, I'm, I'm Protestant sitting in my, my wife and I watched that together and, you know, laughed at that part. Um, regarding technology, I think where I, I'm trying to formulate this in the moment. I think where I may push back a little bit on the idea of the fresco and the dome being technology is that it's still limited in material space time. So you have a certain amount of people that takes a certain amount of time and a certain amount of physical resources to construct this dome or these frescoes. Whereas nowadays, the technology has two major differences. One is, is it's leveraged. And so the, the counterpart would be, we could have one artist that if a thousand years ago, this one artist could make 10,000 frescoes and distribute them throughout the region. Now we have that's the fresco. That's the idea. These ideas are, are more, you know, viral, so to speak, then uh, there's almost some value in it being limited in material space time in that way. And then the second part is almost this, as technology trends for, forward, it looks like there's 
what the tech companies want is our attention. They want our psychology. They don't care as much about where, where our physical bodies are, where, where we're present. And so their aim is to get at our psychology. And I think a side effect of that is especially with you know this metaverse and all this stuff there's this separation of physical space from where you are um where you are emotionally or mentally and so a church service that streams online there's just you know i know pajot would say that there's something that's just not the same thing about not being present with that and and so that's where i'm really concerned about what technology does and whether there are some some bad ideas baked into the cake that are, you know, more or less inevitable coming down the pipe. And again, I hope, I hope I'm wrong about that, but we'll, uh, you know, it'd be interested to see how it plays out. Oh, I, I think your concerns are very valid and, and those differences between, between something in something tangible versus, I mean, I can touch the screen right now, but that's very different from touching an icon or touching a fresco. Mm -hmm. um, or, or even touching a book. So no, those, those are, those are very real and, and, and point taken. Um, that's very true. And we, and even the, some of the studies on children and screens. Yeah. And, and, and Pichot himself said, you know, and he's a, you know, bigger YouTuber than I am. He's, you know, we're, we're these beings of light and this is, this is monkeying mm. with, this is monkeying with a lot of things that we, we don't really understand. I mean, could it be that someday we're going to uh, treat all of these screens with a great deal more care? And, you know, it's, it's not uncommon in certain, especially before COVID to go into a store or a restaurant and here's an entire family, toddlers included, you know, sitting down, scrolling through things on iPads and, and phones and, what's what's happening to us so yeah 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 that's that's very real and there's a there's an element of of participation and context in a building with a dome and with icons and a fresco that there isn't with you know you walk into the sanctuary here and there's a big tv up front the tv up front is just was just economic for us to you know, here are the words and the, the church plant that um, is now using our space too with us. I mean, they're, they're using paper and although they also have it on the screen. And when I was with them for their ordination service, and I found myself using the screen and not the paper mm -hmm. for various reasons. So no, this is, no, those are, those are all good points. And, and we just don't know, but yeah. Yet, you know, the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City Orthodox Church, they've got that camera up. They're live mm -hmm. streaming. Yeah. And and so suddenly you have this choice. Well, do you say, well, we're going to turn our back on this completely and not live stream our, our Sunday morning services? You can do that. And you can say, no, we're, we're going to be really disciplined and insistent upon if you don't get down here physically and participate, you know, we're, we're going to be purists in that sense. And I have respect for that, but that also always comes at a cost Yeah, because then suddenly all kinds of other options are forestalled and 
Sure. I, I think there may be just an element of, of living in that tension. I mean, it must day to day, there are hard decisions to make in regard to that. I think that's, that's maybe a, a good way to look at it. I don't Did you catch the New York Times article that Facebook wants to get involved with hosting religious services? I thought that was pretty fascinating. No. So it's this idea with the metaverse, which I, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm kind of a tech nerd and VR and all that stuff. But this metaverse, now they want to get it. So they want to host religious services, which I think is probably one of the worst ideas I've heard in, in quite a while, um, just in terms of, you know, you have this commercial entity through which flows the communication of, you know, priests and parishioners and congregants with each other. And it's, uh, I'm, I can't remember when it came out, but I just, uh, I, mean, I just pulled it up. In okay. Front of me, July. Yeah. Oh my. Well, you know, part of, you know, I, so I've got these two conversations today and, but I'm always thinking, you know, my videos are usually just because I'm thinking about stuff. And then it's like, can I, can I actually um, formulate this enough to, to explain something? I'm just going to throw this up on my blog so I can find it later. Oh, today. for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was, I was just listening to the rebel wisdom treatment of the Beatles documentary that came out. And early on, I forget is uh, Todd Armstrong made the point about how, you know, the Beatles in some ways began, you know, take sort of took music, you know, almost up there into the religious register. Sure. Let's exactly. Say it that way. I mean, obviously Facebook is interested in this because they have the data and they know new atheists notwithstanding, they know how popular religion is. Mm -hmm. I mean, if porn is king on the internet, religion is number two. Sure. And so just from a business point, they're like, if we could really get into the religious game, that's a lot of money. And I think, you know, one of the YouTube knows this. And, and part of, you know, YouTube is Google is always sort of walking this line in terms of, uh, you know, the, their politics versus how much of this, the countercultural stuff do we, you know, not the popular countercultural, which really isn't countercultural, but the, the kinds of channels that get demonetized and, you know, sure, they're, they're, yeah. those yep. are the countercultural yeah. ones. Sure. And, but there's always a bit more tolerance for the overtly religious and yeah. I think part of that is these these corporations know you cut out the religion. It's death to your business model. Right, right. And and religion is this, you know, is, is like this very deep cultural layer that I mean, the, the new atheists were just playing wrong. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it is yeah. all of their stuff is nested in religion. Right. Yeah. And but to, but the but to think about Facebook, I mean, it's all, they're already changing, you know, we stream our service. So when we went to COVID, we, and we actually were doing it before too, but we upped it in some ways. So we stream the service on our website, on YouTube and on Facebook. And 
I, I eventually I thought, yeah, we're going to stop streaming on Facebook once we really get YouTube and the website up. Mm-hmm. But no, I very re- quickly realized we couldn't. Yeah. Same with our church. Because Facebook is where the people are. And right. I've been getting rid of junk here at church using Facebook Marketplace, and I never used it before, but my daughters are like, use Facebook Marketplace. And so they're not dumb. They know they have the yeah. data. But to think about Facebook, you know, the church of Facebook. Yeah. And and to me, that was it. And I wouldn't even assign a a bad intent to whoever's making those decisions. I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of, of what religion is. I think that they would see religion as a, a community exercise and that they are very well-versed at facilitating communication between people. And so this is an obvious next step. And I think that's, that's maybe kind of what I was trying to hint at earlier with these sort of bad ideas that are just baked into the cake of, of social media. This, this could be one of them, this idea that religion is just about people talking about things with each other and it doesn't necessarily have to happen in a physical space it doesn't have to have any special physical elements with it it's it's all virtual and um or it could be virtual i i guess and there's nothing unique about you know virtual meeting versus uh versus an in-person meeting the way you know that's there are people that would say the conversation we're having is the same as we would have in person, which, which I really doubt that actually, I think it would be quite a bit different. Um, if nothing else, the latency, I feel like the, the latency on zoom is something that we've all adapted to, but this idea that if we both try to start talking in the same millisecond, we can manage that in person a lot better than we can do it on zoom. Yeah. But even little things like that, um, it's just this, it's almost a, a coming, fundamental disregard for material reality or the significance of material reality as something important, which is quite a shift from where we were, you know, 50 years ago where material reality was, was it. Yeah. And, and 50 years ago, you know, some churches were on the radio, really big churches like Robert Schuller, they might be on TV, but 50 years, you know, now the ubiquity of you know, my mother goes, my mother goes to her own church and then comes home. And because of the time difference, you know, we'll catch my service and maybe catch a niece's service. And Sunday I was talking to, she's actually the mother of the church planter who's at our facility again, because she goes to her church in the morning and then goes home and tunes in on our church right after that. And it's a strange new world. Yeah, it really is. And we've run into that with our church as well. It's we're blessed in that our lead pastor came from a worship arts background and we just moved into a new facility. So we are more dialed in than we should be regarding technology and lighting and streaming. And like I said, we, it really does feel like a mini mega church. It's a very high production. The lighting is great. The sound is great. And we get, you know, maybe three or 400 people per service. But it's been such, it's sort of an issue because the live stream is so good and people had to do the live stream over COVID. And uh, like one of the elders said, it's just, it's easier to come to church on your couch in your pajamas. There are going to be people that want to do that into the future. Yep. I, I listened, you know, a decade or so, decade and a half ago, I listened to a lot of Tim Keller sermons and 
you know, there were always some free ones and then you could pay, they were like 250. And, you know, he was quite open with, I don't necessarily want to make my sermons too easy to come by Mm -hmm. for that very reason. And Hmm. most people will admit that, oh, coming to church is way better than staying home, but staying home is way easier than coming to church. And right now, especially sort of in this, this COVID twilight that we're in where, yeah, we're open and there's no restrictions and you can come, but others are still staying home. And then every now and then I'm tempted to, let's just cut out the live stream. But then I recognize that there are, especially because of the, my YouTube channel, there are certain numbers of people that are depending on the live stream. And then the question is now, am I enabling them to not find a local church? But again, I know that some of them, they go to their local church and then they check out the live stream. So I wouldn't necessarily want to cut that off. And others are living in areas or have health issues or one issue or another where they can't practically actually participate in a physical local church. And because I've had conversations with them. So yeah. Yeah. Do you feel the weight of that as a pastor? Because I've listened to some of your other um, talks regarding, you know, Dunbar number and how it's it's so important to be able to relate to um, to your your people. If there are people that are watching your live stream that you know see you as their pastor, but then you're not able to interact with or find out about their life and do the actual you know pastoral care type stuff with. Oh, completely. But it's it's not. I would have imagined that, well, there'll be tensions between attention for my local people versus the massive number of people on the internet. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's true. But it's also that by virtue of the internet, some people are far more disclosing on zoom. Yeah. Pastor. And, and I, I can actually do certain work with them that pro- they're probably not doing with their local pastor. Now, should they probably, are they? Mm-hmm. No. Will they? Maybe never. So it's important that the work get done. And so like with all of these things, there's all of these situations where I just sort of have to ride it because I can't answer the question. I could be a purist and say, cut it off, you know, but I, I have too much experience to know that just cutting it off would mm-hmm. be, would do damage to other people. And there are, there yeah. are goods to be had. So no, that no, those questions, I live with those questions all the time. Oh, I can, I can imagine. I mean, even, even before COVID, before the live stream stuff, I know that that's, that's been a criticism and in, in, in a, our church is in a growth period. And I've, we've been there through that transition of, 150, 200 people, that's a completely different dynamic than even four or 500. Now you're, you're into, you know, entrepreneurial organizational dynamics where you're trying to do, you know, things like community groups to now get the numbers back down, but the community group isn't necessarily, you know, you can kind of carry the church culture through it, but there's, there's a relationship that you, you don't have with the pastor as you, encounter those those kinds of numbers and i i definitely see that and i'm a lot more having you know living in it and living through it and i'm actually on the elder board at our church and so i'm in these meetings and just seeing that dynamic change it is it's i think it's not just growing pains i think there is something 
fundamental that does kind of dissolve away as, as you grow like that. And you can try to reclaim it again, like I said, with organizational dynamics, but it's not, it's not the same thing. No, I was, so Madison square in Grand Rapids, I went, I started attending there when I was in college and then they were sort of 200, 250 on a Sunday morning. And then within about three years, not because I was there, but within about three <laughs> years, they went from like 200, 250 to a thousand. So then there were two services on Sunday morning and then there were three services. And then they, then they decided they were going to um, tear down. They were going to build an additional sanctuary on the site that, so they, they figured they could go up to like a thousand, but because of the DNA and the history of many people in the church, they're like, we don't want to be a mega church. So they decided to sort of go up to like a thousand sure. and then they were going to do church planting. And, and that was in the eighties when, when oh, all wow. of this was happening. Okay. And, and so, you know, I look back on it now and I, I haven't had a, I haven't had real close contact with the church since then, but I have kept in a little bit of contact with the, the pastor who was my pastor there and he's just recently retired. So, and I, and a lot of the people who came here to work with me in our church planting phase, a lot of them had went, I'd also gone through that church. And so we, so I was able to kind of keep tabs. There's just no easy answers to any of this in terms of we're going to stay small and we're going to plant yeah, churches. Right. None of those new churches that you plant are going to be like this mm -hmm. and are multi-site and there, there's just no easy answers. And, yeah. but, but all of that has to do with the constraints of physicality, right? Exactly, exactly. And the high texture. And so it's you no, know, that's why you have elders and that's why you wrestle with these questions. Yeah, right. It's not yeah. easy. Yeah. And there's always trade offs. And, and that's again why I say, you know, with respect to the Orthodox, mm -hmm. there's no going back. Yeah. The, the church that you were when you were 200 people. And now you're 500. That church you had when you were 200 people is gone. It's it is. not coming back. <laughs> and and I, I deal with that. So my, my last, not now my wife and I, you know, during COVID we had, you know, kids living with us and mm -hmm. joblessness and all that stuff. But sure. they're, they're now for the first time in 30 years, my wife and I are empty nesters. Nice. And you know, my, my kids who are now in their twenties, they come home now and it's like, ah, and, and the kids are always kind of like, what's, what's the big deal. <laughs> and so then I sit down and I say, Hey, look, when you were three, you know, you have, you know, you only have a limited idea of the amount of love and attention and care that we poured into that little three-year-old. And you know uh -huh. what? That little three-year-old in some ways is gone. Mm-hmm. But when I see you, I still see part of that three-year-old. And so, and, and this is true of our children, but it's also true of our churches. Yeah, that's a fascinating way to look at. I think that's, that's really great. That's, um, it's encouraging. Like I said, I, I, being on the elder board of a church, it's going through a period of, of growth like that. It's, um, I think that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. So, and, and that, that, that church, and, and often, especially with churches, you start going there and, and you fall in love with something because, you know, you know, God met you there mm -hmm. 
and God did a work in your life in that place with those yes. people, you know, you, you, to use this broader language, you know, you had a transformation there. And so mm -hmm. that building, that community, that group, that pastor, those songs, that sermon, that's all holy ground. Yeah. And so then, you know, when my wife and I, when my wife and I were married, we were married in that church and that oh, church is wow. now the hallway to the faith sanctuary. <laughs> But yeah. that church is holy ground in some ways because those sacred moments happen there. And I guess, you know, this is something that when I think about the Christian faith and I think about uh, the work of Christ and the resurrection, I can't figure out how Christ is going to deal with time in that way. But I think he will. Because I think the age to come is going to, I don't think we're going to lose the sacredness that we've tasted here. It's okay. not going to be limited. It's, it's certainly going to be purified. But, you know, and, and to me, again, when I, when I think about these things, I, you know, these are some of the reasons that I am still a Christian. Mm -hmm. Because I... Within Christianity, I see that vision, and and I think it's important for churches to, you know, I it's when my when my daughter my daughter dropped in last night, and you know I ran over and she's not she's not really a hugger so much, and I I gave her a hug. <laughs> she has to tolerate it, and um, and I I say yeah, you're gonna have to let me love on you a little bit because we're empty nesting and we're we're doing a little bit of lamenting and mourning and grieving mm -hmm. and. And so then as church leaders, it's helpful to lament and mourn and grieve. Yeah, that little 200-member church that you fell in love with that is no more. It's appropriate to lament and mourn and grieve and in that way, honor it. But yet via the resurrection, have an understanding that there's something of that holy moment that will not be finally lost, but will be reclaimed and even redeemed and purified and Will become the seed to greater, um, to to mm. greater things yet to come. Oh, that's really that's really encouraging. Uh, I was that's that's really great to hear your perspective on that. That connects a lot of dots for me. I really do appreciate that. And and I think that's the same for our individual journeys. You know, whether you and your wife decide to stay with your current church or move towards orthodoxy, or even just in your leadership capacity in your church introduce some of the riches and treasures of mm -hmm. orthodoxy even into your protestant church because part of the you know part of the capacity that protestants have shown this is very much an american thing too as much as the wider culture doesn't like the word we are we are going to appropriate some of these things mm -hmm. um and i am already i have already appropriated much from jonathan peugeot Sure. And from other Orthodox and Roman Catholic and Protestants of other traditions and even, you know, non, you know, Jordan sure. Peterson, however we classify him or John mm -hmm. Verveke. And we're always Christianity is a is a religion where, as as Jesus parable says, God, God reaps where he did not sow. <laughs> ah, yes. Yep. OK. And and so then as a leader in that church, you can say, you know, 
I, I've worked with plenty of leaders before in churches, and sometimes leaders get restless, but they're that's and pastors too. But you're, you know, you stay in this church because maybe your wife wants you to stay, or your children are flourishing here, or it's connected to the job, or something like this. And there are all kinds of compromises, but you say, okay, but I do have this bend. And so I'm going to take some of these values and gifts and I'm going to see what we can incorporate here. And again, in terms of Protestants, there's a flexibility within Protestantism that um, I, I, Rod Dreer was recently in town and there's a, a church that hosted his, that little conference. And it was quite a small church. And it was fascinating because after the conference, they had a little communion service and it was sort of Protestant. It was sort of boomer. It was oh, sort wow. of seeker-ish, but they also uh -huh. are bringing in some sacramentalist things too. And I oh, thought, wow. oh, look at, look at, look at <laughs> what they're doing here. Look at what they're doing wow. here. And, you know, Protestantism has that flexibility where in maybe Rome or an Orthodox church, it's like, no, nah, this is, this is the discipline. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do these things because this is who we are. It's, fair enough. Protestants, it's very American. It's like, here's the canvas. Yeah. You know, it, especially non-denominational, it's like, oh, we're going to have some icons here. You know, that, that oh, was yeah. Wash of the Christian Reformed Church, but yeah, I it's it's funny because even before I started, even knew who Peterson or Pajot was, even before I recognized, you know, I could articulate the value and symbolism. One of the most powerful moments I re I remember this was the first one of our first experiences with this church is they it was I believe it was a Good Friday service, I think, and they had everybody in the church write down on a piece of paper, either it was a sin, it was some something from your past just something bad and we one by one had to bring them up to the front and they had somebody up there that nailed them to a big rugged wooden cross just nailed everybody's you know little pieces of paper and then i i don't know if they burned them after that or shredded them or what but i just remember how powerful that was and i remember in that moment thinking how cool is it that somebody either saw this or had this idea and was able to implement this it's for good friday which the church we were at there's that never would have happened and so to your point i think that's like you said here's the canvas um what's going to work for our congregation what's going to you know make christ most glorified in in this space with these people i think that's really that's really cool and 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 yet without the detracting from i mean there's always also beauty and restraint mm -hmm. and and so both you know, we appropriate this idea and then boy, we did it poorly and something <laughs> in it. And, oh, yeah. well, well, we'll maybe not do make that mistake again, but I mean, yeah. in, in, in Protestant churches, you're just always experimenting, especially oh, when sure. you're going through a growth phase because it's yeah. like, okay, now we've got to scale this to, you know, maybe two or three different worship services. And, and now these two different worship services, they're taking on their own spirits too. You know, they have their own angels there. Yeah, right. The, the, the the 11 o'clock service is like this and the 930 service sure. is like this, but we're still in one church and, you know, maybe we've got most of our elders going to 930 and then, well, who's, who's eldering at 11. And I mean, yeah. it's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, well, we're, we're, we're about out of time. Any, Perfect. Any things I didn't, it was, I don't know. I always ask, make sure there's 
you know, if there's something like, I really wanted to talk to Paul about this. No, so, that's, this was, um, you know, for two reasons, it, it was really just incredible to have that back and forth. I also wanted to personally, you know, again, say thank you for the time you devote to this. I know that it's not easy to get videos and edit videos and um, really just appreciate your perspective as a pastor. And so I don't want to discount that as, you know, somebody who's a member of a congregation, you're not my pastor, but I, I really do appreciate the perspective and the words and, you know, you're, you're good at what you do. Well, thank you. Thank you. Is this something that you'd, you'd give me permission to share? Or? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. Cause I'd, I'd like to share this because again, I, 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 these, these conversations are really the favorite part of my channel. I really Oh, that's love awesome. Them. Yeah. And I know they're, they're, they're never, I, I get to see the analytics. And so I know, you know, <laughs> right. Commentary on Jordan Peterson's video with Verveke or Peugeot that, that gets all the hits. Oh yeah, for sure. But this, this to me is where things are scaled and things are applied and, um, and where the, the real treasures are. So anyway, well, yeah. it, it's lovely. It's lovely to meet you, Adam. And yeah, you um, too. And I, I really, I, you know, God bless your church and oh, your journey you. as you, you know, you and your wife continue to figure things out. And um, I really appreciate you getting a slot. Yeah. Thank you. Well, take care of yourself on this, uh, on these uh, happy December. Yeah. Happy December. <laughs> <laughs> take care.